This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. Saginaw counties. 
and what we're doing, we're actually, we're actually the political uh, part part of the marijuana reform, and we we do do with all the boards and and the, the say our governor and uh, the different different political parts of the marijuana laws that we put in place, and also we do with the citizens. Uh, well, especially in my, with me, in our, ours deals with those areas I just mentioned. We deal with the citizens for complaints or anything like that. We have monthly meetings and everything so that everybody knows what's going on in those areas with the marijuana businesses that may be there, grow ops that may be there. Um, any complaints about what could be going on, that market and stuff like that, which you know, I feel that we're we're trying trying to cut down on that market. So having a a legal uh, 21 and over um, business in your area is great to help keep the back markets down to where we are. We already have enough in the back markets when it comes to underage. We don't need to have a back market when it comes to 21 and over neither. So you know and. My organization will help to try to keep that down and answer complaints and everything at the meetings that we have every month. And we be advertising these meetings on Facebook, our web pages, and different things like that to, to help with the citizens in these areas to comply with, with the law enforcement and our community there. And that's, that's basically what we do now. The um, Michigan Normal itself the state of Michigan know itself regulates everything around Michigan the political uh, political areas and different things like that. But like I said, the Great Lakes Bay you know, chapter, which is my chapter, deals with Midland County and Saginaw County and um, Bay County. And that's uh we have problems there or anything that but my chapter is the one that you can come to. And also if we also take care of also people that have been unjustifiably, you know, um, put in jail or anything like that. We we try to get lawyers like you know down here. You know, we we go to them and see if he could help or whatever could help with, with with the problem. And we always do our best to make sure we get the legal help before we make any justified decisions or anything like that. So, but that's basically what my chapter does. Okay, and uh, so some of these questions here at and working with a lot of community, and you mentioned having a board that you deal with as well as how we work with the different political parties in the area. Yeah, different parties in the area, that's why we have monthly meetings. Okay, so they have any, any they, they, of course, they also could get a hold of me at any time, you know. 24-7, you know, the political parties have the numbers, so they would get a hold of me if anything comes up that I may have to raise in an emergency kind of situation, which, you know, hopefully none occurs. <laughs> but yes, you know, so, you know, any time they get a hold of me, if anything comes up, it needs to be taken care of right away. But otherwise, at the monthly meetings, they can come in. It's a public monthly meeting. Everybody can come in and have their complaints or, or have ideas or whatever they want uh, join or join my chapter or, or 
how, whether they want to do it, these monthly meetings, and we take care of it all and keep everybody informed. And whoever, whoever wants to give us their emails and all that stuff, we will keep up with their emails and stuff right, on the progress that we're making. Okay, thank you. Go ahead and pass the mic over to Tom. I'm going to read a intro for Tom Levine. And Tom M.J. Levine, J.D., is a partner at the law firm of Cannabis Council with five attorneys and five of counsel founded in 1999 as a niche cannabis-only law firm and the epicenter of the Michigan cannabis movement, all from which ballot initiatives and lobbying efforts were orchestrated, wrangled over, and achieved. So Lawyer Levine was Secretary of Michigan Legal, or MI Legalized, Ballot Question Committee Grassroots Coalition member of the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, which got the adult use law on the ballot and passed in Michigan. He is on the National Lawyers Committee of Normal and the International Cannabis Bar Association. He's a member of the Representative Assembly for the Third Circuit within the State Bar of Michigan. He is a leadership council member of the Marijuana Law Section of the State Bar of Michigan. Levine practiced law in Hawaii, North Carolina, and in Midland, Michigan. As an associate with the law firm of Riker, Van Dam, Barker, and Black in the late 90s, prior to joining as general counsel in-house with IdeaCore, a business improvement methodologies software and consulting company in Birmingham, Michigan. Prior to joining Cannabis Council together with partners Matthew Abel, founder, 1999, and Cisco & Associates, Julia Gilbert and Sean Myers. Lawyer Levine provides legal regulatory compliance advice to businesses pursuing commercial licenses pursuant to the medical marijuana facilities, Licensing Act and the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, the Michigan Regulation and Taxation of Marijuana Act, and General Business Law and Business Improvement Advice. So Tom, I have a couple questions for you, and that is, what are the various Michigan cannabis laws in effect now? Well, we started with the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act that came into effect in 2008, and that set up the patients and caregivers, who are now the only customers under the Michigan Medical uh, Facilities Licensing Act. The Medical Marijuana Facilities Licensing Act are the stores that are open now. Most all the grows and retail stores and processors are under that act. The adult use, that was passed by the legislature. Then the initiative passed last year, November of 2018, making adult use 21 or older uh, legal to possess up to two and a half ounces um, and the entire harvest of your 12 plants plus 10 ounces that you may have been gifted or purchased at marijuana retailers under lock and key. Anything over two and a half ounces must be under lock and key and 15 grams of um, concentrate. So that's legal right now. Um, beginning the start of November, November 1st, the state began um, accepting applications for commercial establishments and to obtain licenses to sell um, or process, uh, make extractions, make uh, topicals, for example. 
Um, there's many uses for this uh, incredible natural resource that we've been denied of for so long. It can indeed, uh, in large part, replace the petroleum-based products economy that we live on right now. The hemp-based product economy is much more sustainable. It's um, more ecologically sound. Um, everything that we make plastic out of, we can be making out of industrial hemp. And the medical effects are broad-based in terms of the medical marijuana um, attributes. Um, and the side effects are no comparison to the big pharma lists that we all hear on television every day um, that are just absurd that you can call those side effects. I, I would call them defects. Something, a pill that makes you want to kill yourself is a defective pill. So cannabis does not have such a defect. Uh, there is no overdose level and I know this community um, might be reluctant to adopt these licenses thinking that they're doing what's best for the kids, you know. But the, actually, um, it's allowing the black market to continue to operate on your streets. It's actually irresponsible. You're better off allowing for the marijuana retailer stores that can sell to any adult they're not going to risk their license by selling to a minor. These are very valuable licenses. It's highly regulated. Everything will be tested, as it is now. Everything tested and labeled. This is the safest alternative. We have to understand this, you know, parents and everything. It's, the children have access right now. In every high school, you know, they have access, but it's not tested. And it's not, you know, and, and those dealers sell more than one kind of drug, unfortunately. Oh, I'm out of this, well, I'm a pill and that. This isn't good. They need to be driven out of town. The way to do it is to allow for these regulated industries because the reason why it, 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 it dries up the market for that black market. And in Michigan in particular, we took a, um, lessons from the other states that had legalized before us. They failed in driving out the black market because the um, taxes are so high. So we kept ours at 10% and that's what works. It worked in a rural way, in, in, in a successful way, and, and it's, it's working here. So to allow for um, provisioning centers, that's the retail aspect of the act that can only sell the patients and caregivers, and then marijuana retailer licenses will be issued to those same retail establishments, um, and they'll be able to sell to anybody with a, a driver's license. So it'll be any state, any country, just picture ID that they're 21 years old or older. Now given that we're the only ones in the Midwest, this should stimulate tourism in Michigan substantially and the business opportunities in this space are magnificent this is a multi-billion dollar industry that's just opening up this doesn't happen but once in a lifetime so you know um, some of the adult use licenses are less expensive and 
you don't require a minimum capitalization like you do under the medical facilities licenses. To get a 1500 plant grow, you had to have a half a million dollar minimum capitalization, only 25% of that liquid, and the rest could be equity and real estate. But still, if that's an obstacle, or if that was an obstacle, going looking at the um, adult use commercial licenses might be an option to have some licenses as inexpensive as you know eight thousand and four thousand dollars a one hundred plant grow it's four thousand dollar license fee they all start with a six thousand dollar application fee so it's the state is really regulating this intensely you know they come and make random um, inspections, um, everything is tracked on the computer so no diversion will be allowed. It's all RFID tracked right from the seed to the sale. And there's limitations on the amount that can be bought um, per day for patients and per month for patients and caregivers. And then for adults it's per transaction, um, two and a half ounces. But um, you're well within your rights right now to grow 12 plants at your residence um, as an adult. Any adult can grow up to 12 plants per residence, but a total of 12 no matter how many adults live there, and no matter whether there's patients or caregivers there, if you do the adult 12, there can only be a total of 12 per residence. Okay, Tom, there's a couple more questions here. Is marijuana gateway drug? No, in fact, the most recent evidence is that it's an exit drug for opioids. And we're amidst a crisis. And so another reason to allow for this. Does marijuana increase crime? No, in Los Angeles, they shut down 100 dispensaries. Crime spiked. Um, and then when they allowed them to reopen, it went down. The reason being, these are highly regulated. There's like sophisticated security systems on all these things, including exterior cameras required but under the rec. So they share with the police whatever footage of any criminal activity in the area. And so that actually makes the areas safer. Is marijuana's medical efficacy well researched? Uh, oh yes, marijuana's efficacy is well researched. If you look on PubMed and Research Cannabis, there's like 35,000 research uh, documents out there showing positive effects on a broad range of matters. This has been a big lie that there, that there isn't research. Science doesn't end at the United States borders. There are medical schools in Israel. Science exists outside of the United States. We don't stand still. Does marijuana legalization cause an increase or decrease in road fatalities? Actually, a decrease. The evidence shows that, and my postulation is that, you know, a bunch of kids, college kids, now they have an option. Instead of going to the bar and drinking, they can get some marijuana and instead. And when people are under the influence of marijuana, they're likely, they're more likely to be self-reflective enough to not drive. Like make the decision, no, I'm, I'm a little too high, I'm not going to drive. Whereas alcohol, you do the opposite, you make the dumb decision to drive. What is allowed under Michigan's adult use law passed by the ballot initiative in effective December 6, 2018? 
Yeah, so we're already in effect, you know, last December, the whole two and a half ounces. And keeping the entire harvest of the 12 plants is an important detail. That much has to be kept under lock and key. So anything more than two and a half ounces has to be like locked in a closet, for example. What is not allowed? What is not allowed is smoking in public. And you're not allowed to drive any vehicles under the influence. And you're not allowed to consume any marijuana products in or passengers in a vehicle. Um, there's broad immunities, however, and I'm proud that we have contributed to ending the mass incarceration that this failed policy has um, put so many people in prison for. It's just been reckless and split up so many families and affected so many children and all these largely black men. I mean, it was it was uh, a war against African Americans. The disproportionality is absurd. Read Michelle Alexander's well-researched book, Ohio State University Professor, um, The New Jim Crow. Thank you, Thomas. Um, so next we have Trevor Wisniewski and Sarah Foss from the Great Lakes Natural Remedies, Inc., located in the Tri-City area. Sarah Foss is Chief Sales and Marketing Officer for Great Lakes Natural Remedies, Inc. With a background in psychology, Sarah has a passion for the human element of the cannabis plant. Over the last seven years, she has worked in the legal cannabis industry, managing several successful cannabis dispensaries, and hosting education-based cannabis tours. Trevor Wisniewski, CEO of Great Lakes Natural Remedies, Inc. Trevor holds both bachelor's and master's degrees Trevor has been a successful entrepreneur for the past 25 years that include two years experience in commercial cannabis. So who is GLNR and what benefit do we bring to the community? Thanks, Pam. So Great Lakes Natural Remedies, we're a Michigan-based cannabis company and we're vertically integrated. And what that means is we're seed to sale. So we grow, process, and dispense cannabis to patients, and consumers in Michigan. As for the benefit? As for our benefit, we do provide clean, quality, tested cannabis and cannabis products to the community, uh, patients, and um, eventually once recreational license, uh, consumers over the age of 21. Uh, we're bringing jobs to the communities that we work in uh, with a varying range of pay. Uh, we also are uh, back in our community where we give donations and we also help um, put money into beautification efforts into the communities that we're in. How does the cannabis business work seed to sale? Now this is a great question because a lot of people don't understand the business. There's five main licenses that are available. We're going to go over all five real quick. First is cultivation, which is growing, then processing the product, testing the product, transporting the product, and then dispensing the product. And the product is cannabis. So first off, you grow the seed or a clone, and once it gets to a certain height, it actually gets an ID tag. And this ID tag is like the social security number for that plant, and it sticks with that plant from seed to sale. So once it gets to harvest time, and they, the, the uh, flower room cuts the plant off to hang it to dry, um, 
it will then go into the processor. So the processor will take that cannabis product and extract oil and make products out of it, such as uh, lotions for um, cells and oil for edibles. But that doesn't stop there because right now they'll have an end product, but now it needs to be tested. So the third license is testing. And it, the product had already gone through a couple levels of testing, but this is the final test before it goes to the consumer. And once it, it tests and it passes, then that processor has to label every single package with all the testing results. So the consumer knows exactly what they're getting. The next step is to transport and dispense. So um, the secure transporter will then take that product with its own metric tag, which as Tom had mentioned before, is RFID scannable. So that means that the state can come in, scan the vehicle and pick up every single package and know exactly what's in there and what quantities. Uh, it's then transported by these armed guards to a provisioning center or a retail space. In there, they'll accept the product, they'll count it, and then that's where they'll sell it. Um, within that, they have a variety of products um, that have been transferred, like Trevor had mentioned, that's topicals, edibles, concentrates that are then sold in that store um, to anyone with a medical card at this point or anyone with an ID over the age of 21. What kind of job opportunities are there? Uh, there's a wide range of job opportunities in the cannabis industry uh, that range from uh, kind of your lower level positions like uh, trimmers or packagers all the way up to upper management. Um, these jobs can range anywhere from starting at $12 an hour all the way to higher level executives making over $100,000 a year. Um, within these jobs, there's a lot of opportunity to grow since it is a fairly new industry. A lot of people can come in starting as trimmers and work their way up into that upper level management within a, sh uh, a short period of time, usually a few years. What type of products do you sell and where do they source from? Um, the types of cannabis products, as Trevor had kind of mentioned, include uh, edibles, concentrates, topicals, vape pens, and then your bud or the flower product um, that is generally smoked. Um, these products are all, like Trevor said, clean and tested at multiple points so that way it's safe for the consumer's consumption. Um, that they know it's not going to have any heavy metals or pesticides or anything that could be dangerous to consume. Um, all of these products do uh, have a wide range and wide spectrum of uh, different elements in the cannabis plant. It's not just the THC and the CBD, but it's also the terpenes and the cannabinoids um, that really create that medicinal benefit. I think you just answered what steps you take to keep the patients and consumers safe. Uh, yeah, not only is it the testing, um, but there also are three points of security at all of these facilities as well. Um, this includes physical security of the building and fences, um, structural, uh, as well as technological. Uh, like Tom had mentioned, there are cameras that cover all uh, areas of the cannabis facility, both inside and out. What are some of the struggles in the industry facing, both in Michigan and federally? Right, so you can imagine we have some struggles seeing that it's federally legal, right? Um, so in Michigan, uh, it's such a new market that we have an extreme lack of supply. And um, growers are coming on every day, and the problem is, is it's very expensive to build a cultivation facility and to staff it, 
And then once you actually start growing, you might not be able to sell that product for a good five to six months after that. So there's a long lead time and a lot of money to be able to actually get into cultivation. Um, but the, mar the market, they're trying to work on it here in Michigan in that uh, we are a licensed grower. We're able, able to actually buy caregiver product, get it tested and put into the system to help the supply. Um, the other big struggle right now is the testing labs. Uh, because Michigan is so adamant about making sure this is safe for the consumer um, and it gets tested at several levels, we have four main labs and a lot of them are backed up up to a month to get your testing results back. So once you send your product out for testing, it's, you can't do anything with it. It has to stay in your vault until you get your testing results back. Then you can tag it and then get it out to the tr secure transport to the dispensaries. So this is really taking, uh, it, it, it's, it's hurting the whole uh, logistical supply to the Michigan market right now. That's federally, um, you know, this, this, is a, this is a very large bipartisan topic. Um, you know, the main thing that we're facing right now federally is that it's illegal. So they are working on some bills for banking to, you know, open up the banking with, uh, with Michigan or the, the states that have opted into this. Uh, but most importantly, what I want you to understand is you have a, a Democrat, Senator Warren, who is sponsoring a bipartisan bill to legalize cannabis federally within states that have opted in. And then on the other side of the coin, you have Mr. John Boehner, the conservative Republican under Obama, who is a, board, a director on the board of directors for the largest cannabis investment company in America. And he is constantly in Washington trying to lobby to get this legalized as well. So they are trying on both sides of the house and um, hopefully something will help to, uh, to ease our pain. Is there anything you think the public should not be aware of in regards to cannabis that they may not already know or have a misconception about? Um, I think we've kind of mentioned a few times that this is a highly regulated market with consumer safety in mind. This isn't just people growing plants outside and then selling it. It's getting tested, it's clean, it's regulated. Uh, there's surprise inspections that come into all these facilities to make sure that they're operating correctly and safely with the consumer in mind. Um, that cannabis products, not all of them produce the general psychoactivity or the high that most people expect. Um, we had mentioned that there's topicals and lotions and salves uh, that people with arthritis can use that uh, don't produce any of the psychoactivity so you can go about your day, um, operate a vehicle and not have any impairment involved with it. Um, as Tom had mentioned, it is impossible to overdose on cannabis products. Uh, that is actually an exit drug instead of a gateway drug. Um, that it's helping people that are dealing with addiction to opiates and other pills that have been over-prescribed here in the country, um, helping them to get off of that and lead a better, healthier life without creating an addiction to a new product. Uh, and that this plant and its products can help a wide range of ailments besides just chronic uh, pain. It helps with uh, Parkinson's, it helps with ADHD, it helps with OCD, IBD, uh, Crohn's disease, I mean, menopause. Pardon? Menopause. <laughs> and menopause and other uh, ailments. I mean, there is a wide variety of people it helps other than what you typically expect for that chronic pain. 
uh, OCD, Tourette's, I mean, the list goes on. Um, and then the other element, it's not just benefiting humans, but it also helps benefit pets. Um, people are using it for their dogs, cats, horses, pigs, you name it. And it helps with the ailments and different uh, issues that, you know, our loved furry friends deal with as well. Well, thank you, Sarah. And our next panelist is Michael Ethan. He is a certified medical assistant, member of the American Association of Medical Assistants. Michael is the CEO and founder of Great Lakes Hemp Supplements, LLC, and Center for Compassion, LLC. He gained valuable experience in the cannabis industry by founding the first 501-3C nonprofit Compassion Center in Traverse City, Michigan, formerly the Grand Traverse Compassion Connection in 2009. Michael has over 20 years of experience with using cannabis as medicine in a vast variety of alternative forms, including GI tube, vaporization, topical use, and more. Michael has also dedicated his life to Christian services and was a founding board member of the Northern Michigan Decotech, which is a Christian retreat weekend for teenagers. Decotech stands for Decorous Teens Can Counter Christ. Deco Tech has been an active part of the community for over 17 years now in Northern Michigan. Michael has always had a passion for working with and helping children. In his youth, he was a paid child care worker for the Church of the Nazarene and also Decorous Monthly Gatherings. After high school, he went on traveling as a youth evangelist intern with Crossdale Ministries where he was preaching and teaching in a number of different churches and youth Bible camps across the Midwest. Michael is the Midwest CBD Authority. Michael has had the honor of educating in the vast areas of medical cannabis, CBD, and the endocannabinoid system at several conferences across the country for over the past six years. Michael had the honor of presenting at Pittsburgh First World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo teaching physicians interested in the medical cannabis program for their own patients on how to establish appropriate doses and treatment options. Michael has also spoken at multiple Michigan medical marijuana conferences in Grand Rapids, Ann Arbor, as well as Cobo Hall in Detroit, Michigan for the Counterculture Expo. Michael also had the privilege of presenting for Seed and Water Blessing at Serpent Mound in Southern Ohio's Mound Builder Region for Spring Solstice Celebration in 2013 and 2016 on the benefits of cannabis as an alternative medicine and medicinal alchemy. Michael has completed his associate's degree as a medical assistant at Baker University where he graduated in June of 2017. Michael is a member of AAMA, Oncology Nurses Society, had the privilege of doing his clinical externship for months in healthcare and the unique opportunity of spending a couple weeks in each of the following departments, infectious disease, endocrinology, neurosurgery, urology, and oncology. Michael has completed two accredited continuing education courses for nurses by patients out of time entitled Endocannabinoid System in Cannabis, What Nurses Need to Know. Michael has vast hands-on knowledge in guiding patients through the physician evaluation and certification process for the Michigan Medical Marijuana Program and has aided in countless patients' follow-up and care. With Michael's continued work in CBD edibles, he was able to take home a third-place victory in the best high edible CBD category at the 2015 High Times U.S. Cannabis Cup in Denver, Colorado. Woohoo! 
as well as a Best CBD Edible Crystal Trichrome Award at the 2016 Cannabis Quest Expo. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for coming. How can cannabis be used safe and effectively? Hello, Pam. Thanks for having me with you guys tonight. Um, so I have had multiple opportunities of guiding patients as well as healthcare providers and educating them how to use cannabis safe and effectively. As mentioned earlier, um, topicals is one way that you can use THC and even use high levels of THC sometimes to treat, um, for one instance, to treat a tumor. If you have a tumor that you can see or have access to, being able to apply a topical to that area leads it to directly to the source. Um, and you can increase the levels beyond what somebody may be able to eat safely without experiencing, um, you know, we talk about no overdoses, but you're not going to overdose to the point of dying, but overdosing to the point of having a negative experience has sent people to the hospital. Um, so that still is a, a negative side effect. Um, so we can do that with topicals without having it pass the blood-to-brain barrier, so there's no psychoactivity or euphoric effect that exists when using, um, and that allows you again to be able to use very increased doses to treat this uh, location. Another way we do that is using uh, THC-8. THC-8 in an acid form, is there's a lot of research about juicing the plant, using it, eating it. Um, now, even with hemp, we're looking at microgreens, and using hemp and adding it into the diet as like a fresh lettuce, um, which also then is the CBD side of the things as well. So CBD typically is derived from um, high CBD medical cannabis strains, uh, which if under 0.3% are considered hemp. Uh, we do have that ability now as well to cultivate in Michigan. So um, CBD is a very safe and effective way. Um, as you've probably heard, it's it's been a lot of talk this year. It really hit the market really hard this year. You can get it anywhere. Um, there's no age restrictions associated with CBD. That's how safe that it is. Um, CBD was our first approach in working with uh, children outside of THCA. THCA was the first thing that we knew. We knew that if we didn't activate it, we could minimize and keep it from getting them high and use it in a form of a tincture. Once we learned more about the CBD plants, um, my partner and I, Dr. Ed, were able to take the CBD plants over the last nine years and really do research with them in Michigan and establish how we can safely and effectively use them to treat uh, seizures. Um, or another case we had that was uh, in the beginning was a four-year-old with brain cancer. So having them be able to come in and ask for their cannabis medicine um, without getting them high and still being able to have them have a productive, um, even if it was end of life stages, um, still being able to have a quality of life all the way up to the very end. That was a four year old you were talking about, just <coughs> So, how effective is medical cannabis in replacing opiate pain medications? Dr. Sanjay Gupta did a good episode, I believe it was week four, um, a year and a half, two years ago, maybe longer now. Um, but it really talks about how the endocannabinoid system um, and how the opiates play on that same type of system, the receptors, um, so they work very effectively. The national average across the country 
um, is a 65% or better reduction in opiate pain medications in the states that have legalized medical marijuana. Um, we have seen it within our own practice. The Center for Compassion is a medical marijuana certification clinic that specializes in personal consultations. So we have seen that and established that with many of our own patients, but more specifically and recently this year, um, about two months ago, I was called in to speak and asked to speak at Grand Traverse Orthopedics. It's a surgery center practice in Traverse City, Michigan. And one of our customers, um, a patient of ours at our clinic, went through a knee surgery, a total knee replacement, and she denied all of the opiate medications and only used a CBD tincture, which is oral sublingual under the tongue, as well as our CBD topical. We make a holy massage oil that's referenced out of the book of Exodus. Um, it's very effective. It was the first product I ever made, and it still maintains as one of our staple products. Um, those two products got her through a total knee replacement, and the practice was so surprised by that that they had called me in to do an in-service and training. Um, I've done many of those now throughout the years, teaching physicians and from how to read um, lab reports to how to establish dosing and treatment, um, different forms and options that are available. Um, okay, so that was you know, your experience with using cannabis as medicine. What is the community impact from opting out of medical cannabis facilities? In this area, you know, the taxes, you probably don't have to worry about compared to the other Tri-City counties or, or townships, right? Midland has, you know, a good source for tax revenue. So besides that conversation, we could increase that. You can always use a little bit more money, but um, it's the benefit to the community. Right now, if you buy opting out or not having any safe access locations or medical cannabis facilities within the area, you're forcing your patients to drive into, or, um, into drive quite a distance to go to another surrounding community. So you're forcing them to drive over to Bay City or down to Flint to try to have access to safe and effective medicine versus supplying um, and offering the citizens that a majority of them have voted for medical marijuana laws and want this to take place in the community. Um, so it really is, as government officials, you need to consider what your constituents are wanting, what they are voting for, and if you aren't going to consider that, you need to look at how they're going to replace you next term. Thank you. And what is the current status of hemp farming in Michigan? In 2014, we passed the Farm Bill, and Michigan passed two acts that allowed hemp farming to begin. Unfortunately, the governor kind of didn't allow any movement or progress. It required um, restrictions that you had to be backed by a college or university. In 2018, with the Adult Use Act, um, it opened up for hemp to be legal as well and hemp farming to take place again. Right now, um, Michigan has a hemp program that's in its second year. So we have renewed our license and we are in the second year of the Michigan Hemp Program. 
It still is technically done under a pilot program because we're still waiting on the USDA to finish their rules. They had just closed a 30 day period for comments after initiating their like, temporary or ideal rules, interim rules. Um, so now we're seeing that open up. The states that don't have a program are allowed to apply directly um, to the USDA. So we'll see a little bit more oversight coming with that, that we'll have a state approved program. But until the state of Michigan's program is approved, which will probably take another, at least I'm gonna guess 60 to 90 days because the holidays, um, we will continue to operate under the pilot program. The pilot program still allows you to grow. Um, it's a $100 license fee or application fee with the Department of Agriculture. The Department of Agriculture has been very open and willing to work with the hemp community this year to answer questions. Um, you really, you can call them and get any of your questions that you may have. You can get it directly from the source, hear it from them. Um, they've just been excellent about being involved with the community, coming out to events, um, and really helping to expand that, that program. It's unique and it's a kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, if even once in a lifetime, to have this kind of a new industry take shape. Um, everything from you know seeds, clones, genetics, processing into final products, to there's a company in Grand Rapids um, that I'm looking to work with that can replace 33% of the plastic polymer with using hemp um, byproduct. So even the spent material has a use even after the extraction down to you know, animal bedding, fiber, um, protein powders, to the plastics replacements, um, hemp oil uh, as a biofuel, um, the building materials, houses. So it's really kind of an endless industry. It's a little, you know, right now there's not a lot of infrastructure, so it's kind of been tough for farmers. You want to really make sure that you have an outlet, um, a buyer for your stuff before you plant. Um, even that, some of the people have still had contracts that have been unfulfilled. But it is an industry that is going to grow and it is going to grow rapidly. There's people that are putting in, um, you know, companies that are putting in a fair amount of money in Michigan to see that infrastructure grow. And within the next couple of years, um, you know, it'll really be, I believe, more more beneficial for the farmers to get in. Um, it is something to look at this year if you you know know where to reach out um, and have an outlet for that. I do still know a fair amount of farmers that are sitting on crops though from this last year. Hopefully come spring and as people have processed what they've originally grown themselves, the processors will be looking and getting product from other farmers. Um, but it is a, a very fast growing industry and it's something that the state is really open and willing to work with us on. Um, Michigan State has gotten involved um, in the second half of this year as well um, to give some guidance and leadership a little bit to um, guiding the farmers through the, the cultivation and grow process of the hemp. Um, again, with that, hemp is where we derive the majority of the CBD products. So right now that's the that's the industry that's the biggest part of hemp is cultivating for CBD. Right now we import billions of dollars a year with the hemp from China, so we are hoping to change that. Um, but it's, it's infrastructure. 
being able to have the processing facilities put in place here so that way we can support the farmers and keep that money within the United States. But again, this is like the first year federally that hemp farmers are legally allowed to do this without the fear of these old reaper madness um, videos. He, throughout history, hemp has been used. Um, even though they put it out in reaper madness, they did re, re pull out during World War II and they gave a marijuana tax stamp once again in order that the farmers cultivate hemp because it made the strongest growth in sales that were used for the war effort. As soon as the war was over and it wasn't to the government's benefit, they didn't have a way to tax it. It was illegal again. So it's finally getting its rightful place back. Thank you, Michael. Um, we had another guest that couldn't make it tonight, um, Dr. Dave, who uh, from CBD Solutions, uh, which also addresses the natural compounds found in cannabis plants known to aid with anxiety and depression sleep disorders, bone strength, arthritis, multiple sclerosis, cancer, tumor growth, inflammation, and PTSD. Um, and then there was somebody that had said they would try to make it in his stead, and he wasn't able to, but I'm going to give him a shout out. His name is Sam from Third Coast Cultivators in Lyon, Michigan. And now I'm going to um, uh, have the question and answer uh, period uh, opportunity for the audience if you have any questions for our panel. Um, can you bring the microphone? Right. Come up to this microphone here. Or we can bring it over to you if you have trouble getting to the side. Does anybody have any questions for the panel? Yeah. <coughs> oh, I'm not sure who to ask this of, but what are the various cities in the area doing about licensing? Uh, I know Cacallan um, is allowing them and Bay City is allowing them. Um, there's probably about, about 60 cities and townships at least that have adopted it. The city of Saginaw yeah. also. Chef, what's that? Not Midland. Not Midland. Okay. No, the the village of Chessening. Um, they have a lot of operations going on down there. In fact, um, somebody from Midland here opened a big operation yeah, down there. South. Yeah, and then uh, Detroit. Yeah. And uh, is there anything that can be done politically to help? Um. Well, we embedded within the ballot initiative the right to petition, and you only have to get 5% of the population signatures on a petition in order to put it on the ballot and put it to a vote to the people. So we could do that. There is a deadline, you know, you have to get it in order to, in order to get it on the November 2020 ballot. So it would behoove a city council if they want to set the rules to go ahead and do it. Otherwise, the people are going to do it with no, you know, right. no cap, maybe, or something like that. Thank you. Why not? Thank you for your question. Does anyone else have any questions? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't heard anybody's, I guess it's for the GLNR people, do you sell plants? 
Or do you just sell products? Uh, we do not sell the plants themselves or seeds. Um, we just sell the final product, which would be the harvested and cured flour um, and then the different infused products. Would there be somewhere to... When you talk about you can have 12 plants, where would I get a plant? There is going to be one facet of the industry that will open up for that is nurseries. Um, we do have, we have a hemp nursery um, that we do supply genetics through seeds and clones. And then we also have seeds and clones available of medical cannabis through our convention center in Traverse City. So eventually it'll be available. Yes. Yeah. And the rules will allow for them to be sold at the retail Thank you for your question. Thanks for being here. Uh, fiscal year 2020 medical marijuana operation oversight grants. Uh, Midland is showing $25,000 available. Can you explain any of that? Oversight. Grants, okay. Well, some of the tax money that is, has been brought in through the sales to patients and caregivers um, were allocated for that sort of thing. Um, that's the act that the legislature passed. Um, it's kind of evolved into more inspections and, um, and that sort of thing, even though a caregiver should not even be subject to inspection. Caregivers should be able to grow in any enclosed lock facility and local ordinances are preempted by the state law that allows patients and caregivers to grow in an enclosed lock facility. Um, so perhaps for, um, but now under the adult use there'll be a, a different set of um, revenue it's, it's sort of supplanting the medical one. That 3% actually that had been collected under the Medical Act has sunsetted, and now the 10% only is applying. And you have to have a retailer or a micro-business that includes a retail component in your city or township in order to get any of that tax revenue. So under the medical one, it was any type of license. Some townships, we're like not allowing the provisioning centers to retail and just still benefiting from the tax revenue. But under the adult use, that won't work. You have to allow retail for the municipalities to get any of the tax revenue. Um, it goes to the state and then it's kind of divided depending only to the cities that adopt ordinances to permit for retail. Yeah, I guess. Sort of what I read up here was uh, it was based on how many cards were in the county. So money was coming back into in the Midland because of the amount of people who have medical cards and it's available grant money and the county just has to all the counties. Yeah, that might be under the medical money. Yeah, they just yeah, you have to list what it's going to be used out for. From the cards. I see. No, that's sort of what I'm. What I'm asking, the, that's a lot of money sitting out there. Yeah. 
And I'm not sure exactly how the program is allocating that back, but there is, there is basically they keep reducing the fees and they've collected more money than they know what to do with under the medical marijuana program. So now they're looking at ways to, to, to spread that back out. So it's allowing communities to apply for some of the money back based on the residents in their community that have been paying into the program. The other aspect of that tax is, is the 3% he talked about. So even though Midland as a, as a city doesn't have any, Midland as a county gets taxes back based on um, any, if there were any resident things in the outline. Um, so if any of the smaller towns, say around Midland, um, were, had licenses, they would also be able to get, get revenue back. Yeah, right. For different areas, for you, when you go and you get your medical marijuana card and everything, you pay it to the city government, to the state, and everything. But uh, there's cards attracted to these areas where you don't have to give them, or where the cards are in there, they take a certain percentage out of those cards for that area. Yeah, because I, I read there's, I think, $3 million throughout the state, and Midland has almost $26,000 Right, and that, that's where the medical, yeah, that's where the medical marijuana is bid and everything, and then it's up to that city council or whatever in that area to utilize what they're going to use those funds for, which, you know, they, they can sit on that money for, who knows, under that the medical marijuana, where, we, where with our recreational marijuana, that 10% uh, taxes that they said uh, that has to go to roads and education. That's what was in the language that, that, that we adopted when we, when we did the Whiskey Legalized uh, Prop 1 here. You know, actually, when it passed in 2008 and these funds started coming into municipalities, unfortunately, they used it for law enforcement and patients and caregivers were being raided for years and years for growing maybe one too many clones. Oh, God forbid, ah, ah, felony, 14-year felonies they're facing. So we've put an end to that with the ballot initiative. So, you know, they used to be chasing that money for that. But uh, we're done with that chapter in human history. So we can use it for anything law enforcement? Be kids at school? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they should, if there's any contaminated lots, they should plant some hemp yeah. <laughs> at every nuclear spill um, or major accident. They always plant industrial hemp because it's an right. yeah, yeah, soaks, so, so, soaks it up. Right. And, um, they should do that with it here. Are there any other questions? Yes. Can Can you come forward if you want? Okay, I'll bring the mic to you. No Just a real quick uh, follow-up question. It sounds like we have Base City Saginaw calling as far as areas that are going to sell or be What about the Chesapeake? Chesapeake. Is there anything happening in the mall where people have any interest in selling? 
centers uh, north of Midland. Yeah. Um, Roger City, right? And um, Tawas, all along 23. If you take 23 along there, you'll find them in Tawas. Another place, was it south of Tawas? Pinconi. Or north? Okay, Pinconi. Linwood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so quite a few. Um, they're starting to pop up all over. And they're getting the money that other areas could use as well. There's a built in you know, customer base. It's not like we haven't been smoking this already. People are already smoking this. Just because we just legalized it, it's not like overnight there's no consumer base. We've been there for decades. We've just been oppressed. Any other questions? Sorry, I've, I've only been in the state for two months. We came from Texas, so I'm kind of starting oh, right. out <laughs> from zero on this. Um, you're talking about 10%. Is that 10% like on top of um, no. sales tax and things like that? No, no, no. That's 10% period. It's a capital 10%. No, it's not. Yeah, it's on top of sales tax. At the retail sale. Right. So it's actually 6%. And then you add that 6% sales tax first, and then, and then 10% of that. So what are the projected tax revenue for the state for the next year? Well, in the first week, they it was 270000 in the first week 1.6 off $1.6 million. Million in sales revenue. In eight days at five retail shops. In eight days, and that was only five retail shops. Five retail, shops. Yeah, There's going to be million. thousands of these. So if Midland is not... Part does not have a dispensary or a retail retail set. Are they, do they get part of that? No. no. So they <laughs> so they lose the money. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the back market comes into me and, and they right. Of course, they're not charging ten percent tax. Yeah. Yeah. And often you don't know what you're getting. Market, you, know, you don't know how, 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 if, if, if the smoke is actual, um, I'm sorry. Oh, if, the, if the smoke is, is actually, actually, you know, at where they say it is, if, if the, the quality is what they say, if you don't know all that, if, if it would be based or anything like that, that's what the problem is with the movie, the back market. That's why we want, we want to the communities to have the, the safe uh, legal market so that, and like I said, it's going to be bad enough with the bad market with the underage, you know, to begin with, we're going to have a problem with that, you know, no matter what, the adult workers going to have to fight that, you know, we don't want to have a problem with, with the bad market in other counties with 21 and over too, and have to fight that along, along with it.
Luckily, we avoided this um, vape crisis, you know, because all of, all of our stuff's tested and labeled, and you know, now they're um, they even made it more strict the testing. Okay, when you do talk about testing, what exactly are you testing for? I mean, impurities and things, but are you testing for THC levels? Or yes, THC, so CBD. Yes, and the terpene profile, which is a very advanced. Uh, in, the most advanced medical research lately has been tying it all together, not only the endocannabinoid system in our body, it also processes the cannabinoids and then there's a, uh, the terpenes have an effect. So they are testing, so they're not only testing uh, for potency of THC and CBD, uh, but, but depending on the type of product, they're also testing for microbials like molds and yeast, a lot of the black market product is very moldy and that's really not good to consume, especially if you have a compromised immune system. Uh, they're also testing for water activity, they're testing for heavy metals. Uh, there's product out there that has arsenic, uh, chromium, a lot of these really other potentially hazardous materials. Um, and then they're also testing um, for the pesticides that are used, black market, um, to deal with these molds. They're putting these really dangerous chemicals on them that, especially when combusted or added with heat, turn into something even more dangerous. So um, they're testing for a wide variety of these things. And then with the vape, because it's the vitamin E acetate is what has been identified as causing a lot of these. Um, Causing the popcorn alone. Right. Yep. If, if you haven't had the pleasure of going to a dispensary and purchasing it, it's not, you know exactly what you're getting. There's a label just like on the back of your food, and it has everything listed there. So the person that you're buying it from is a reputable source. So it's, it's just like going to the grocery store and looking at the information on the back of it to determine if it's too much sodium because you have a low sodium diet. It's same thing. And, 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 and when you go to, to a, 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 a legal place to, to get your product and stuff, if there's something wrong with that product, you go back to that place and complain or whatever and, and, and you know, get it corrected or reported or whatever you need. Where in the back, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and one other thing I understood is that. Like in Colorado, people from outside the state cannot, are not supposed to buy. No, from that's, not true. that's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're not I, I, I'm from Colorado. I lived in Colorado for years, and, and I got friends there, and I talk to them at least twice a week or so, and I keep up with that in Colorado. Yeah, they have all kinds of upstairs to come in and buy and everything. Okay, but, and you can, can they can transport it back to like Texas or something? I mean, will you be able to do that here in Michigan? Yes. yes. So anybody can come in, well, if you buy whatever product they want. If you cross the state line once you've purchased the product, you're breaking federal law. It's not legal for you to take Michigan product back to Illinois, right? But we do accept Illinois' medical marijuana card in Michigan. So they can come in if they have a medical marijuana card from Illinois or Ohio, and they can purchase from the medical marijuana provisioning centers. It's called reciprocity. So their cards are valid here. Under the REC program, 21 and up, anyone with an ID that proves that they're over 21, but you can't take that out of the state to Ohio um, where it's illegal to cross state lines. So as long as they're in the state, they can use it. You can't grab a bunch and take it back home illegally. Okay.
And you can test everything out on me in six to eight weeks. And if I don't have any of this, and I'm jogging with you on the weekends, well, then we've got something to talk about. So, so what would you recommend? I mean, I, I just want to have something that's, I want to know where to go. Knowing your source is very important. Again, like I said, a lot of the stuff is imported. Um, a lot of companies look at, you know, they're looking at the bottom line instead of looking at a patient approach. So you really want to know your source. Um, every year there's a number of CBD companies that are cited by the FDA for making false or bold medicinal claims or having product that doesn't contain the amount of CBD that's in it. This industry is an unregulated industry. There's a lot of garbage out there. Uh, don't buy it at the gas station. Don't buy it at the video. <laughs> um, you know, you, you want to look for key, some key things on the label that'll say full spectrum, right? Don't look for pure CBD. Don't look for CBD isolate. Look for something that says full spectrum. Just because it says full spectrum doesn't mean it is full spectrum, but at least, again, it's an unregulated, unregulated industry. We can print and say whatever we want. Um, you know, I do have two local um, retail locations in Midland that do carry our products. So you can you know, look us up or talk to us later about that. And we can direct you to those locations as well. Um, and you know, as well as our online sales, you can call our office, we can ship it to you. Yeah, um, we can coordinate directly to you to get you more dialed into what you would need based on your dose of your treatment. I have worked with a number of Lyme disease patients. The biggest thing that I get for feedback is increased focus, concentration, and the ability to complete their tasks at hand. That would be wonderful. Those are the biggest things lost. I have a hard time getting here, and I just live in walking distance. So, it, it can be very, very beneficial for both you and your dog. I have a three-year, three-pound Pomeranian that's been on CBD since she was six months old because she has a kidney deformity. Um, undeveloped kidney. So because of that kidney disease, and the vet can't believe that she's still alive. She's four years old. Now. So um, you know, there's a lot of different aspects. And CBD, what it does is it reprograms on a cellular level to return to normal cellular function. So it doesn't necessarily matter what the condition is, um, and it is something or a reason we do. Normally, what it's saying, you think, is a cure all or a fix all. But with CBD, it really has the ability to reprogram on a cellular level anything that may be going on in your body. It, re it returns the body to homeostasis, which is normal cellular function. So returning all systems to the way they're supposed to function. We've seen it even regulate diabetes, so people insulin intake changes or even limits stops because the body regulates its own systems. Right. Okay. Thank you. Everybody, everybody, uh, know. everybody knows that the that's in marijuana and stuff. Our body's already created that itself. We're just adding to it when we, when we adjust, you know, we adjust the cannabis. We're just actually adding to it and we have the, the, the THC, the cycle effect, the, the high or the alpha. Like with the CBD, but uh, our bodies are actually 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 forms the cannabinoid itself. That our our bodies, you know, they, 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 our body 
what the, the cannabinoids ferment. They arise, perform it naturally right on their own without the, um, without the, the high effect, of course. And with the CBDs and typically arises that that helps the effect of your natural your, your natural CBD bodies to, to boost them up to help fight whatever you're fighting, you're trying to fight in the bodies. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for your question. Yeah, I just had one thing to add, ma'am. I might be able to help you uh, with the dope. My name's Catherine. I'm a licensed veterinary technician for 30 years, and uh, <laughs> we are just starting to explore uh, cannabis use in dogs and, and, and cats, and, it, and it's uh, a lot of veterinarians don't want to deal with it because they don't know enough about it. But there's a lot of benefits uh, for animals, but they're still trying to figure that out. Uh, there are some veterinarians that are pioneering doses and pioneering effects and trying to figure out, give, give people a rough idea because people don't know how much and for what. And, and that's the problem. We don't have like a dosing, we don't have an established dosing, but they're, but they're working on that and they're getting some good rough guidelines. Yeah, I, I so I can give you some information because one of the technicians I work with went to a major uh, conference down in Florida last year and they had a, a quite a large, uh, they had quite a few classes just on cannabis and you know products and how to use it and so on and so forth. But I can, like at the end, here, I can get your information and I can give you some information as far as websites and doctors and places you can check so you have some sort of reference point for your dog's So we your name and location as a, a community television and we are not allowed as nonprofit to, to give the members websites and specific, but we, we can give your name of the business and the city and people can look that up. Um, I did not check with my employer okay. before doing but, that. But you can talk to her when the I will talk, off. yes, because Does before I do be anything like that, I need to, yeah, I need to speak with my employer. We'll let you know so. when the cameras are off, and then folks will have an opportunity okay. to, to talk about this. Later. Okay, great. Alright. Are there any more questions? Go ahead. It came up earlier, the concept of micro-business of the panel. Can you, can you invite the group as to what that might be all about? So a micro-business is an adult-use commercial license where you're permitted to cultivate 150 plants. You're also allowed to process, make extractions of metables or topicals, and you also have a retail component, all at the same location. Um, all these transfers, likewise, get entered in the seed to sale, even from your own garden to your own processing lab into your own retail. Um, but you have the $6,000 application fee, and then there's an application, two-step application process. And um, you don't need a facility for the first step. Once you're pre-qualified, you, you can um, obtain a facility, but you shouldn't file the step two until you're ready for inspection. You're actually able to open your local permit and everything has been accomplished. The, the, um, the license, the price for that, after the 6,000 uh, application fee, that applies to all license types. When, you're, when you pass inspection, when you're actually handed the license, it's an $8,000 annual license fee. Um, so it's 
less expensive. The, the other ones were like 66,000 all last year. They just came down to 56 and 44 and 30 under the medical. But they're a little bit less under the rack. So is there an analog to the microbrewery there worth mentioning? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the whole idea. You're actually, uh, one limitation to the micro business or, or strength is that you're not part of the wholesale market. Your grower doesn't sell to other places. You make everything that you sell, you sell only the things that you make. And um, so it is like a, like a micro business. Yeah. So the only downside of that, uh, it is like a microbrewery. Um, so you are able to make cannot wholesale in from other licensed vendors. Um, so the element of running out of product uh, is definitely a concern there. Um, with only 150 plants and supplying that to your processing as well as selling the flour, um, they're not going to be able to produce as much as a uh, larger state licensed facility. Would make it easier uh, in, in tweaking the system once it's federal law. There's also a consumption establishment license. Um, also, these places will be able to deliver themselves to homes um, by their employees, but there's a new license that's being floated in the proposed rules called a delivery business license, where they would have a separate license and it would they can deliver on behalf of uh, retailers or micro-businesses. So uh, that's at least in the draft rules. And that was a good idea. <laughs> so the consumption lounges, they can't sell marijuana. So ideally, you want that next door to your micro-business. Uh, retailers, marijuana retailers, can deliver into a um, designated consumption establishment. There's also a temporary event license, and micro-businesses will be able to set up as vendors at temporary events. And uh, it's $500 per day of the event. They can run as long as seven days, and it's $500 per micro-business vendor. And the license, the price on that is $1,000. You get a, a, a Temporary event organizer license. Oh, Jerry said you make that back in the day. Yeah. Are there any more questions? I have a question about THC test. Like, like if you get if you're pulled over, and if they have suspicion, and there's no real, there's no test, there's no reliable test for T. And, they, and I know That's people. Right. They have not set legal limits for THC. They decided not yeah. to do that. Yeah, the National so, Highway Traffic Safety studied this for a long time. There's no like direct correlation like there is with alcohol. Yeah. So, but there's still it's still against the law to uh, um, drive under the influence, and and they have to prove that by proving some you know recklessness or some proof that you're you, you're not driving. Or yeah, consuming in the car or something. I just and all this can be added as evidence to a case of driving under the influence, as well as uh, blood levels. They look at the uh, nanograms per milliliter, but that's not that's not um, a per se level. So um, they have to sort of make a 
a combination of factors to convince it's stored by but I, I did recently talk to uh, a, a bar about this and, and, and the bar owner knows that a lot of the patrons use marijuana and is concerned about making it legal because of increase and I said do you really think your patrons are going to use and they're using something that's unregulated in many cases and so a lot of people that were sitting around that heard our conversation agreed. In, in Colorado that, that I did Colorado point for years and I had friends in Colorado I keep up with them but in Colorado they've had no problems that others the state patrols had no problems with with, with with the uh, with DUIs with marijuana, I think they it had anything with marijuana. It was alcohol involved DUI, you know, things. But they've had no problem. As a matter of fact, they said that their DUIs have decreased there in Colorado since the legalization of marijuana. That's that's true. That's absolutely true, and that's one of the, the fallacies out there. Is there was a study by a paper, I'm not going to name. Um, that was outside the Colorado area that came in and reported some fake news. But uh, the Colorado was on top of that and, and made sure the right news got out. Hi. Um, thanks for being here. I'm Stephanie. I'm, uh, I have a question about cottage food law and making edibles. Now, with your business that you have locally, do you, you said you're, you're a seed to sale processing soap. I want to, I make great blueberry muffins, okay? And I make kick-ass blueberry muffins. But you know, um, I, I currently run the farmer's market here in Midland. We have a lot of cottage food law bakeries. You can't sell cottage food into a retail establishment, so I know that doesn't apply. But if I were to lease a bakery, how could one in Midland, could we still be able, could I become a, an edibles bakery and then sell it to retail outlets like you if I became a processor? Is that, I mean, I'm sure there's licensing that's involved, but the other thing I've read, I've not seen anything specifically related to like a bakery. If you were a caregiver, you could go around that route. Um, if you wanted to get a state licensed facility, you'd have to go through the full background check of uh, step ones and the step twos in order to. Um, you'd also have to have your full kitchen on camera, uh, so there's a lot of uh, capitalization that's needed uh, to build out the infrastructure in order to do a cannabis bakery. Do you have baked goods? Do you sell them at your... At your um, we currently don't sell baked goods, uh, but we do... Um, facilitate caregiver product and so we do get chocolate chip cookies brownies and that kind of thing that we do get through our system that caregivers have created we get it tested put in the system and then sell on to provisioning centers oh okay so it's not actually processed at your facility it's a licensed bakery or uh we don't do the baked goods but we do oh. uh, we will be producing um edibles mostly of like the uh softies gummies yeah. kind of variety oh thank you and as such um Something that can make your life easier in, in pursuing that is you can obtain the oil from another processor. Okay. So initially the law was uh, growers could only sell to processors, processors could only sell to um, retailers, and growers could sell to both. But they didn't allow it back and forth, so they changed that. Now there are processor to processor sales and Grower grower sales are permitted to exchange genetics and that sort of thing. 
So like a banker like that, I, in fact, I was on the committee for processing with, with the state, and I said, you know, you don't want to make the baker, force the baker to learn how to be an extractor that might blow themselves up, and you don't want the oil maker to have to bake the baked goods, or they might not taste good, you know. So let, let's allow for that. Right. Um, as Sarah mentioned, the main product that we get into our facility is from caregivers throughout the state. Um, they seem to really be taking over the market for that um, on a larger scale. And when I say larger, we're taking talking tens and tens and tens of thousands of them a week. So and. And you know we get calls from caregivers every day wanting to bring their products to our facility, and a lot of them are bakers making gummies and, as Sarah said, cookies and things like that. But as an adult over the age of 21, you could, in your own home, bake some goodies for yourself and share them with your friends that are over the age of 21, as long as you're not taking money for it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Part of the, the ballot initiative, the law that's in effect right now, is any adult can gift up to two and a half ounces of marijuana to another adult. The, tr the translation um, for like brownies, it's 16 ounces to one toward your two and a half ounce limit. So 40 ounces of brownies are permitted to be possessed. And if it's in liquid form, if a marijuana-infused product is in liquid form, it's 36 ounces to one toward your two and a half ounces. So you can possess up to 90 ounces or like a six-pack of marijuana-infused um, drink. So we have the scale handy. Are there any other questions? Okay. All right, well, thank everyone for coming. And uh, this wraps up our campus town hall. And thank you, Pamela, for being here. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.